Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 179. Now, have you ever felt like you got the short end of the genealogy stick when it comes to family heirlooms? You know, maybe you haven't inherited much in the way of family photos or memorabilia, or maybe you feel like you've tapped out all the potential goodies that are out there to find. Well, in a few minutes, I'm going to share an email that I got from Helen because she reminds us that you should never say never. And I've got another amazing story for you, this one about adoption. Uh, So you're going to definitely want to hear that. And also in this episode, we're going to check in on the Genealogy Gems Book Club to talk with our book guru, Sonny Morton, about this quarter's featured book, which is The Lost Ancestor by Nathan Dylan Goodwin. It's a good one. And of course, all kinds of other genealogy news and tips for you. Uh, We're going to take all that genealogy and technology noise out there and distill it down into the best of the best, the genealogy gems that you can use. That's the goal of the show. Now, I'm just back from several weeks on the road. Since we last got together in episode uh, 178, I've been to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, to talk to the Cape Cod Genealogical Society about time travel with Google Earth. They loved it. They had so much fun. I could just see the wheels turning, the ideas they were coming up with on how they might use Google Earth themselves uh, with their genealogy to time travel, if you will. And of course, all of you Genealogy Gems Premium members have that video class, Time Travel with Google Earth, and the handout available to you as part of your premium membership. And uh, if you're not a member, just click on premium in the main menu at genealogygems.com and you can learn more about that. And then uh, from Cape Cod, Bill and I headed to Providence, Rhode Island, where I was one of the keynote speakers along with Judy Russell at the NERC conference. I think it's the New England Regional Genealogical Consortium. <laughs> I think I got that right. Well, that was my first trip ever, first time ever to New England. So that was a real treat. I think I've been as far as New York and Pennsylvania. That was about it. So getting up into New England was wonderful. And I love all the old architecture up there. I mean, the buildings that go back uh, certainly a bit farther than they do out west, which is really nice. And we teamed up once again at the NERC conference with the photo detective, Maureen Taylor, and family chart masters. And we held our free outside the box mini genealogy sessions right there in the exhibit hall in our booth. And those were very, very popular indeed. Uh, Then, let's see, I got home, I had a two day turnaround. And my daughter Lacey and I were then off to Anchorage, Alaska, to put on an all day seminar at the Anchorage Genealogical Society. You know, there is another great group of genealogists. We had a blast. Uh, Lacey and I took a little extra time, added a couple of extra days to explore and explore we did. We booked a half day ATV tour. (laughs) Can you believe it? Me on an ATV. I love it. Anything that's fast. I love going fast. So we did this half day ATV tour to explore the national forest there outside of Anchorage in Alaska. Now this technically was before the start of their official tourist season. So you know, there we were, two gals driving out of town onto a dirt road and, and waiting at the little meeting spot in the middle of nowhere where we met Bob the Guide. That's what we called him, Bob the Guide. Uh, he looked like he was straight out of Duck Dynasty, <laughs> seriously. And he showed us how to drive the ATVs. Um, he assured us there weren't any bears out there quite yet because I guess they were still in hibernation. And he was packing his sidearm pistol and he led us out into the wilderness for four and a half hours of amazing scenery. It was kind of like we had the whole entire national forest to ourselves. It was incredible. Um, He would every once in a while, he'd pull over and uh, he'd whip out this telescopic lens, put it on a tripod and literally in just a second or two, he would zero in on something way 
over on the mountain, sort of across the valley. And he'd say, look, look in there. And I'd look in there. And he'd say, see that clump of snow with legs? <laughs> that's a mountain goat. Or that's a doll sheep. You know, one of the, the big, enormous, hairy sheep that they have up there in Alaska. It was, it was really incredible. We saw moose, uh, muskrat, uh, and the biggest rabbits that I've ever seen in my entire life, which Bob the Guide called bunnies. I don't know. <laughs> they look like big jackrabbits to me, but he called them bunnies. And he was right. We never saw a bear the entire time, uh, which was absolutely fine with me and Lacey. So uh, that was just a whirlwind, wonderful trip. So after that mountain safari out there in the wilds of Alaska, we flew home. And then I gave an all-day seminar in my own backyard here in uh, Denton, Texas. And then Bill and I jumped in the Suburban and we drove to St. Charles, Missouri. And that's where I spoke at the National Genealogical Society Conference. Are you tired yet? I'm tired talking about it. It has been a busy couple of weeks, but fantastic. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, the, the National Genealogical Society, which is known as NGS, they have their yearly conference this year. It was in St. Charles, Missouri. That's just on the other side of uh, the river from St. Louis. And we were very pleasantly surprised to find the most quaint little main street in St. Charles ever. It was just wonderful. Um, Diane Southard, she's your DNA guide here at Genealogy Gems. She was there with us. And Diane and I drug poor Bill in and out of every foo-foo, we call them foo-foo potpourri shops. (laughs) You know, the ones that sell soap and, you know, potpourri and jewelry and all that kind of stuff. Um, we, we pulled them into every single shop we, that was possibly open in the times we had available uh, after the conference each day. So if we weren't busy uh, meeting so many of you, of course, at the booth or in the classes, we were down shopping, having a blast. This was actually a really long conference. It was a four-day conference. That's a lot of genealogy, <laughs> even for me. I mean, it was... Everybody was looking kind of tired by the fourth day, but I think they all had a blast. And and again, we teamed up with Family Chart Masters and the Photo Detective and also Family Tree Magazine for our outside-the-box extravaganza of free sessions that we did in the booth. Uh, We had a little larger booth this time at the National Conference. And this time, Diane Southard. Uh, joined us and she taught some genetic genealogy sessions there in the booth. Boy, those were so well received. If you were following the Genealogy Gems Facebook page, you saw the huge crowds that we had at all the different sessions. And certainly Diane's were no exception. And, you know, all of this kind of reminds me of an email that I received uh, recently from Shelly. And I want to share this with you. She says, I'm a new listener and a new premium member of Genealogy Gems. Thanks for getting me motivated to organize my research and get back into learning my family history. I had never thought about attending a genealogy conference before, but listening to your podcast has gotten me interested in going. There is a conference coming up in less than two weeks, only one and one and a half hours away from me in St. Charles, Missouri. So she was talking about NGS when she wrote me this. She says, I can't afford to attend the actual conference, but would it be worth it to just go to the free exhibit space? I listened to one of your podcasts that mentioned you and a few others giving free mini classes. Please let me know what you think. And of course, I told Shelly, I thought it would absolutely be worth it. In fact, that really has been one of our goals with doing these free outside-the-box sessions at at the various conferences around the country. And that really is to give everyone uh, a free opportunity to experience a genealogy conference. You know, sometimes registration is several hundred dollars. Uh, Four days is sometimes more than than folks can uh, make time in their schedule for, certainly if you have a full-time job. Uh, The hall itself is typically pretty large in size. There's loads of exhibitors in there and you can go to the hall, the exhibit hall for free. 
And not only attend, of course, our sessions at our booth, but um, at most large conferences, you'll usually find other companies like Ancestry and MyHeritage and FamilySearch uh, and Roots Magic holding sessions, little mini sessions right there at their booths. So there's always something to do. You could really spend eight hours in the exhibit hall, staying pretty busy, learning a lot about what the newest uh, products are out there, attending lots of sessions and really learning uh, new techniques for your family history, uh, and certainly entering contests. We had contests, lots of other booths did. So it's, it's a ton of fun. So that's kind of what I advise Shelly. And she wrote me back. She says, thanks for your encouragement to attend the NGS exhibitor area. I was able to attend on Friday. And I enjoyed looking at all the booths and talking to some of the exhibitors. I was also able to attend a few outside the box sessions also although yours were too crowded to see or hear very well. Thanks so much for doing this. And she says, while waiting for a free session to start in another area, I overheard two men talking about DNA for genealogical purposes and privacy. My ears perked up as they discussed an instance where a DNA sample that went to Ancestry.com was used to help solve a crime committed by a relative of the DNA tester. She says, I don't have enough information to form any opinions on that case, but the question of privacy came up when I asked my mother to take a DNA test for me. The first thing she said was that it sounded interesting, but she was worried about whether the government or the police could get a hold of her information. I encouraged her to read the privacy information on the site and to let me know, but I told her that I didn't see how anyone could get the information. Her curiosity got the best of her as I knew it would, and she agreed to the testing, and I am awaiting the results. The funny thing is that my mother does have a criminal history and has served over 10 years in prison. I was raised by my father from age five. Hopefully, there aren't any serious unresolved crimes that my mom has been involved in. She is 64 now, so hopefully the statute of limitations has passed for most crimes. I will let you know if the FBI comes knocking on my door. (laughs) It's pretty incredible. And she's right. You you might have heard about this if you read some of the genealogy blogs out there or just some of the news. The, the way I understand it is that um, at some point, the police wanted to try and track down a suspect, and they did it through um, getting in touch with Ancestry to get DNA results. Now, we've all heard about this kind of thing in terms of um, police officials you know, taking garbage, (laughs) taking somebody's garbage after they sit outside because then it's public and then they go and take the garbage and they run DNA tests off the cups and things that have been discarded in the garbage. Um, There's lots of different kind of roundabout ways that the police um, and government can obtain DNA samples. But this was a little different because here somebody had, and who knows, it may not have even been somebody closely related. I didn't follow the story very, very closely. I will, however, in the show notes, have some links uh, over to Judy Russell, the the legal genealogist. She talked about this case. Um, She's an expert on both DNA and legal matters. I'm not. (laughs) But I think it's interesting that um, I can truly see it from both sides. One is if the government or the police want to obtain information they're doing it. They're already doing it. Um, you, If you ever talk with anybody from Google or Yahoo or any of the big companies out there, um, whoever has data has things that police and government want. And there's a lot of back and forth because in some cases, they don't mind. It's a hassle. It costs them money to collect data and to have to retrieve it and to have to turn it in. They end up having to hire somebody. That's all they do is retrieve data to, to give to search warrants. And that was one of the big questions in this case. Was there a warrant? Was it all done properly on up and up? But even so, would you you know, want to participate in DNA testing if um, somebody could just get a search warrant because you happen to possibly be related to somebody who's a suspect and the next thing you know is your privacy is really being um, kind of walked on a bit. Well, in the case of um, places like Google, Yahoo, um, anybody who collects data on people, you know, when you read these stories, you go, wow, they seem to be kind of turning things over. And then all of a sudden, it gets too close to home. And now it's infringing upon their privacy or what they have planned. And all of a sudden, they're kind of fighting it. So it's a double edged sword for everybody. I think that's true. 
for those who want to collect data, the police, the, the government, to those who do it as a company, as in Google or Ancestry or anybody else, and those of us who just want to participate in life and get involved in uh, various activities, like doing your DNA testing for genealogy, specifically for genealogy, you don't really expect to be going down all these dark rabbit holes that you don't know where that information is going. In the end, I don't know that we have a whole lot of control over that. It's a calculated risk, right? And um, it, it brings up all kinds of questions. And, and that's one of the reasons why I've, I've invited Diane Southard to be part of the Genealogy Gems team. She's a real expert, not only on the results of DNA testing and how they apply and how you can use them and, and guiding us through that entire process, but she's also keeping her eye on these kinds of more social issues and questions and ethics and what's going on. So be sure and follow her posts on our blog as well as you'll be hearing from her on an ongoing basis here on the show, I welcome her input. Because the bottom line is, we each have to do our own homework. And that's what I encourage you to do. We do a lot of homework here for you, trying to bring you what we find and what we kind of feel personally are the best of the best kinds of items that are out there for genealogy and research. But in the end, when you put your money down, or you put your saliva down, <laughs> you, you know, um, hand things over that are personal in nature, you have to do your own research, and weigh the pros and the cons. Also kind of figure out what your risk is in those scenarios. Would you be at risk? Interestingly, Shelly's talking about that maybe this is a risk for her mom. Chances are she wouldn't have said yes, if uh, she really felt like there was something out there to be discovered. Who knows? So we'll keep our eyes on this. And like I say, I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong or what the right thing is to do. Um, I trust that most of you are keeping your noses clean. So we won't have to worry about you getting a knock on the door for your DNA testing. But, but stay tuned because we certainly will lead you to resources and information so you can do your homework as well and make really good educated choices. And circling all the way back to what Shelley originally wrote about, which was this idea of taking advantage of the exhibit hall at conferences. I hope that Shelly and I have both have convinced you that if you haven't yet attended a national conference, you know, sometimes we're just shy. It's just you don't have a buddy to go with. Maybe there's somebody that, you know, you don't really have a close friend who does research or genealogy. And you want to go, but it's like, who do you talk to? What do you do? Going to the exhibit hall just for a day, make a day of it, and coming to our classes and other classes and, and just getting your feet wet. You can do that at very little cost with a ton of fun. And so keep an eye on the schedule that we do print um, in our weekly newsletter, as well as you can click the seminars tab in the menu on my homepage. You can see where I'll be appearing throughout the year and into the future. And certainly when it's a big conference and we have a booth, we're going to have our outside the box sessions. So we certainly hope that you will join us for those. And I definitely want to thank all of you listening who did join us for those who stopped by the booth at one of all of these, these events and uh, attended the sessions. Uh, Shelly was right. We had some really packed sessions. I'll, I'll hopefully include a couple of pictures in the show notes so you can kind of see how much fun it is. And I, I saw people getting to know each other and chatting and, and just having a grand time. So we are so glad that so many of you joined us at the conferences and now will join us here at Genealogy Gems on the podcast, on the website. We're glad you're here. You know, I was talking in the last, this last week's newsletter that uh, in the last year, I have moved, as you know, sort of from Earthquake Central, which was California, to Tornado Alley, which is uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And it's been, been kind of a, an adjustment lately, to say the least. Two weeks ago, I was presenting a webinar on using Evernote for genealogy. It was for Family Tree University. And my husband, now normally he knows when I'm on a, a presentation, he doesn't, you know, crack the door and start talking to me and that kind of thing. But he comes in, I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm talking, and I'm, I'm trying to fall on the slides. And he puts a note in front of me. And it says there's a tornado watch. And if things get worse, he's hauling me off the computer and into the storm shelter. <laughs> and he, he looked pretty serious. This was the first time we our specific area where we live was under tornado watch. 
I hung in there and thankfully it blew over and blew past our little town and we did finish the webinar. If you were there with us on the live webinar, you probably heard me say something about, okay, well, if this goes goes south, uh, we'll pick up where we left off in a few minutes. But we didn't have to. Genealogy wins again and we got all the way through the webinar and it was great. Didn't even lose power, which was great. And yes, uh, the webinar is going was recorded. So there is a video coming soon to premium membership that is on its way. So then last night before last, um, we spent about an hour in our little shelter room in our house, um, because our county where we live got pummeled with torrential rain. It was nonstop lightning. It was like a strobe light out there. And yes, we even had a few tornadoes touch down uh, over that evening. So our, our dogs, you know, came in the little room with us, we, and they sat and blocked the door. They were they were so cute. They were trying to take good care of us, and uh, they did a very good job. And again, thankfully, they didn't touch down on our house. So we're in good shape, and everything's fine, and, and we weathered the storm, if you will. And um, these last couple of weeks have really gotten me thinking about kind of that constant threat of danger and destruction. And uh, it's really reinforced a decision that I've made recently that I'm really happy to announce here on this episode today. And that is that we've decided um, that we are bringing into the Genealogy Gems family a brand new sponsor. And we handpick these, as you know, very, very carefully. I don't want to deluge you with ads. I certainly want to have enough ads to keep paying the bills and making sure this podcast stays free. And that's what our sponsors do for us. They are so supportive in that respect. And Backblaze is now the official backup of Lisa Louise Cook's Genealogy Gems. And I'm very happy to say that because for the last couple of years, I have really wanted to make a firm selection. And I was doing my homework. I've been doing my homework on this topic, trying out different companies and talking to different companies. And um, I know a lot of you have asked me, who do you use for your cloud backup? And I have been timid to, I'll say, well, I'm trying this or I'm trying that. But I haven't really come out and said, this is where I've, I've decided to go. And in the last, oh gosh, six months or so, Backblaze came to me. I've, I've worked with them at Roots Tech. You may be familiar with them because they sponsor the Roots Tech Demo Theater. And I always do classes over there. They've done that the last couple of years. They've been great. And it's funny, they're not a genealogy company per se. They're a high-tech company out of the Silicon Valley that really is devoted to our segment of the little cloud um, storage audience, which is they know how precious what we're doing and what we're working on is to us. And they wanted to partner and, and really be available to the entire genealogy community. And they're the one high-tech cloud storage company that's really been out there and supporting the whole um, community and industry. So when they came and said, wow, we'd really like to be your official sponsor. What do you think? You know, will you try us out? And we did. And and I love it. And I really like the guys over there. Uh, I've interviewed Gleb Budman, who's the uh, CEO, and I've interviewed uh, and talked to Yev, who r- typically is the MC at the Roots Tech um, Demo Theater. And they have just been a joy to work with. So now they are the official backup. And I can tell you with confidence that I've done my homework, and they are who I have chosen to back up my files. Because, you know, particularly with all these tornadoes going by lately, the thought of losing my genealogy files, it's just too much to bear. It just makes me nauseous. And now, knowing that I've got this all set up, and I've made the commitment, and they're taking care of things, I can concentrate on taking care of my loved ones, my living family, Um, I can keep doing my research, knowing that Backblaze is taking care of all the files and all the photos that I've been so carefully over the years, saving to my computer, they're taking care of them and, and backing them up in very safe and secure ways. So uh, I know, like I said, many of you have asked me and now I can tell you with confidence, I'm using Backblaze and I encourage you to do the same uh, as they are now an official sponsor of the Genealogy Gems podcast. And get this, I have my own page at Backblaze. So to check it out, to learn more, to to see my smiling face on their website and know that I'm behind them at least, go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. We have a free trial there that you can, we've arranged that you can uh, try out the service. You can, you'll be amazed how easy the setup is. 
that's what I think is so cool about this. There's a lot of different um, cloud services, but you know, unless you're some high tech guru and a, and a computer programmer and you're doing a zillion different weird things, you just want it to be simple, easy, fast, get it done. So you can go back to research and working on your family history and know that it's taken care of. And that's what they do. That's what they do really well. So it's backblaze.com slash Lisa. Check them out. And Tyler Moss, who is the Dean of Family Tree University, uh, he wrote me after that Evernote webinar that I did, I told you about. And he said, I always ask him, well, did you get any feedback? You know, because when I give a webinar, it's very quiet. <laughs> it's not like I have an audience there. So I don't always know how things are going over if people have, you know, questions or what they like, what they don't. And he says, well, there was one woman, she, she just typed in the chat box, dot, dot, dot. And she says, I messaged her and I asked her, hey, I'm sorry, did you mean to send a question? And she's, he says, all I see are these three periods. And she said, oh, no, I'm just in wonder at all of the awesome things I can now do with Evernote. <laughs> that was her way of communicating it. So that was really cool. Well, that webinar that we did was called Enhance Your Genealogy with Evernote. And in that session, which we recorded uh, onto video as well, I covered 10 terrific genealogy projects that you can use Evernote for to improve your research, your organization, and your overall productivity. Because my motto these days, and you've been in one of my classes lately, you've heard me say this, save time by being more efficient. So you have more time to spend with your ancestors. And that's exactly what that training session was about. So as I said, the good news is that for all of you who are Genealogy Gems premium members, uh, that is a video that you are going to be looking forward to. It's coming soon to premium membership, including the downloadable handout. And uh, all of that will be in the premium video section of genealogygems.com. So look for the announcement of its release in our weekly free newsletter. And of course, if you don't get that yet, oh my gosh, get over to genealogygems.com and sign up for the free newsletter so we can tell you about all the cool stuff that is coming online. And oh, let me see what else. Let me give you, but before we go to the mailbox, I want to give you one idea from that particular webinar, because this was really cool. And it came up uh, while I was also teaching sessions over at uh, NGS. And somebody had asked me a question about, um, oh, gosh, I want to buy your book, but I don't know if I've already bought your book. And I said, you know, I was just teaching a webinar about this and came up with a really cool project that I had suggested. And I shared it with her. I'm going to share it with you right now. The idea is, as you know, that Evernote allows you to, um, for free, use their software, their apps, all that good stuff. And they, you can do web clipping. You can create notes of any kind, right? Media files, text files, web clippings. So my thought was that, and what I showed in the webinar is I sat down with my smartphone. I have an iPhone. And I went over to my little library bookshelf and I pulled out all of my books. Now you might do this in stages. If you've got a lot of books, you might want to do this just in stages. So the next time you head to a meeting, to a conference, whatever it is, and you've got in mind, well, I'd like to you know, look for books on German research. I want to look for books on some tech topic. Go and just take a portion of what you currently have on your library shelf. You know, pull them off the shelf and take your smartphone and take a nice, clear photograph of the cover of the book, of each book. So I just put a book on my lap, took a picture, you know, tried to get it as filling up the picture, the lens as much as possible. You can always edit your images on your smartphone, no matter what kind you have, after you take the picture. If you want to clean it up, you want to make it sharper, or crop the edges. But typically, it works really well. Just try to fill the screen as much as you can with the cover of the book without cutting off any of the words. Then um, you'll notice that I know with the iPhone, I can go to my camera roll. So let's say I've taken photos of a dozen different books that I have or a 100 books, you know, however many books you want to start with. Then I'm going to go over to my camera roll. And I'm going to tap the first image, the first photograph that I took of the cover of the book and tap the share icon. Now, with the newest versions of particularly iOS, the operating system for the iPhone or an iPad as well, you'll notice that you have options to share it by text, by email, 
iCloud photo sharing Twitter. That's always kind of the default on the first round of these icons. But if you swipe to the left, you'll find, oh, there's more. I can share to Flickr, Flipboard, Evernote, Pinterest, Facebook. Tap Evernote. Make sure that you have signed in to your account so that it's active through your phone, right? You've given your um, phone authorization, if you will, to access your Evernote account in the free Evernote app that you'll have loaded on your phone. Tap the Evernote icon and I can see the picture in my little pop-up window. I can type in additional notes if I want to about this book, like I have two copies of this book or whatever it is, and tap save. It will automatically be saved to Evernote. One more thing I would do is before I tap save, I would actually set up a books or a library notebook in Evernote. Now, you know, I don't normally get wild and crazy about setting up lots of notebooks. But in this case, it's not obvious to me. I don't see it here. I don't see any way to tag notes when you're sending photos from your phone over to Evernote. But I do see that there's an option at the bottom of the note to select a notebook. So if you create a library notebook and you tap that and select library, now your photo will be sent directly into the library notebook in Evernote. Just do this for each of the pictures, right? Now, when you go and you're at the conference and you think, oh, I want to buy some books, I can't remember which books I have. When you saved those pictures over to Evernote, you know what happens. It saves it through your internet connection, through the cloud. And while it's being processed and synchronized through the cloud so that you have that note on every device that you have Evernote, they also sprinkle that pixie dust that we love, which is OCR, Optical Character Recognition. And what that means is all those wonderful words, the author, the title, the subtitle on the cover of the book become keyword searchable. The only exception would be if they were in some kind of cursive script that was, you know, not basic font printing, you know, typeface like Arial or Times Roman or whatever. If it were in handwriting, it wouldn't probably be readable by OCR unless it was printed, neatly printed. Good news is most books don't have handwritten titles. So Evernote is going to apply the OCR to all of your pictures of your covers of your books. And now when you go to the bookstore, you go to a conference, you tap in the Evernote app, tap the library notebook and do a keyword search. I could type in the word German, Germany, whatever it is. Uh, in fact, as I'm saving books, I'll be wanting to thinking about kind of what would be the the basic word I'll, I would search for. So if my book was, you know, the history of Germany, um, and another one was the German people and, the, and their history, I might want to add in the notes, the opposite, German, Germany, whatever, so that when I keyword search, it can grab it from my notes, or it can grab it right from the title, because it applies the optical character recognition, making all those pictures keyword searchable pretty cool. And think about the applications for this. Here you've quickly created a library by simply using your phone or your tablet and taking pictures of all your book covers. You could also do the title page if you want a little more robust. But keep in mind, if the text is too, too small, it's going to be hard to OCR. Bigger is better. That's why I like to do the cover. But then you could have all kinds of things. Um, and we've talked about before that you can take a picture of people with their name tag on, you know, as long as it's not a messy handwritten cursive name, if it's block printed, if it's typed, that picture of that person with their face and their name tag becomes keyword searchable by their name. Or if the name tag says where they live, you know, like when we go to conferences, they'll say Lisa Cook, um, you know, Texas. So you could type in Texas and see everybody that you met who is from Texas, who had that on their name tag. I'll bet there's all kinds of other opportunities for this. How about your DVD collection? How about, um, oh gosh, I, I'm sure there's all kinds of things that we can think of that we'd like to kind of have that library, that simple collection. And we want it to be part of Evernote because that's where we're doing all of this uh, genealogy note taking. Sure, there's other programs, but you don't really need them if you can simply do this and integrate these libraries that you create 
as one more element of your Evernote notes and having them available to you at all times, no matter what device you're using. I hope you like that project because I do and I have been busy, busy creating my libraries so that uh, never again are we going to be checking out duplicate books, buying duplicate books, spending money where we don't have to. Again, more efficient, more organized, and more money saving. All right. With that, let's head over quickly to the mailbox and then we're going to talk our book club. All right. Talk to you on the other side. You know, I always advise people to keep their master family trees at home on their own computers, not online. The family tree software I recommend is Roots Magic, and I'm pleased to announce that Roots Magic 7 is out and it's better than ever. Now, what do I love most about this new update? It's got to be the automatic hinting feature. It's like Google Alerts for genealogy websites. RootsMagic now automatically searches sites like FamilySearch and MyHeritage for possible matches to your tree. You're going to see light bulb hints appear whenever a match is found. Clicking the light bulb will open a web browser with matching records. They've got new accounts that let you easily publish and maintain multiple trees online, whether publicly or privately. And data management is easy with the new data clean feature that helps you quickly find and fix possible problems with names and places. Or use the file compare feature to look at two different trees side by side and transfer information between them. These are just some of the dozens of new enhancements. You can give it a try right away with no risk with the free edition called Roots Magic 7 Essentials. So what are you waiting for? Go to rootsmagic.com. You'll see pretty quickly why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic. emails that I've gotten. I always love hearing your stories and particularly when they kind of motivate and inspire the rest of us in our efforts, our family history efforts. Now in this first one, a recent email from listener Helen reminds us to search our basements and our attics for unique and amazing family history finds because there's no substitute for being able to tell family members stories through their own words and their photographs. So this is what Helen wrote. She says, I just had to tell you about my recent find. My late father-in-law served in the Canadian Navy for 39 years, entering Naval College when he was only 14. Most of my knowledge about his life came from talking with him before he died. Of course, then I did not know the questions to ask. About a month ago, I was preparing for a lecture on his life for a local World War I seminar. I started looking around in our basement as I knew we had some material from when we cleared out his house when he died. But I had no idea of just what exciting material I would find. I found his personal diaries and the latest from 1916. The journals give an amazing first-person record of naval service from a person who devoted his life to the service of his country. 
I was able to weave his actual words into the somewhat dry official record of his long-time service, ending with his being presented with a Commander of the British Empire Medal shortly before his retirement. I am so grateful that the family saved these invaluable documents through the myriad of moves that a naval officer's career entails. In a different box, I found his photographs from the same area, some even earlier than the journals. I'm now seriously considering publishing the journals along with the photographs as they deserve to be shared. Well, Helen, thank you so much for sharing this story. It was great. And um, I think your project sounds fantastic. I mean, congratulations on on giving the seminar, but also in getting these things published. Wouldn't that be amazing? It just reminds you that, that history really is not just published in the great historical works and books of our time, but it does exist in our own closets and our own backyards and important history that when you weave it all together, when we get it out there and we share it with each other, we really do create such a, a larger, wider narrative of um, where we've been. And of course, we learn about where we're going, don't we? <laughs> we know where we've been. Thank you so much, Helen, for sharing that. Now, I told you too that I have a story about adoption, and this one is amazing. Okay, so a woman recently went searching for her birth mother after receiving a copy of her adoption records. Now, these had recently just been opened up in her home state of Ohio, and we've blogged about this on the Genealogy Gems uh, blog at genealogygems.com. And anytime you want to find blog posts on any topic, whether it's adoption or anything else, uh, scroll down a little ways and look for the topics box. You can There's a drop-down menu. You click on that, and you can select and click on just the topic that you want. And every blog post and even the free podcast episodes that touch on that subject are going to be in your results list. It's a really nice way to grab those very quickly and easily. Well, this woman didn't have to search very far for her birth mother uh, because it turned out that she was just in a different department of where she worked. Can you imagine? So I'm going to quote here from an article. It says, when Lasagna Mitchell Clark first received her birth records in the mail on Monday and saw the name Francine Simmons, she immediately plugged it into Facebook. And this was reported in a story on entrepreneur.com, I believe. And it didn't take long for her to recognize that her mother was a woman who worked at the same company where she worked. And it says here, following a tearful reunion, the two discovered that they lived just six minutes away from one another. Lasagna also learned that she has three birth sisters, one of whom also works at the same company. Amazing. Can you imagine company picnics and water cooler chats uh, just suddenly got a little more meaningful for her um, after this birth family reunion? Incredible. And, you know, if you want to learn more about adoption and and the ways in which people are finding birth parents and, and relatives, you can learn how to use your own DNA to search for genetic relatives, um, whether you're adopted or not, of course. And listen to the interview that we did with um, Cece Moore. She's a leading expert who appears regularly on television shows like uh, Henry Louis Gates' Family Roots. Uh, she talks about one of her great passions is using DNA for adoption. And so I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, that was in last month's episode. It was episode number 178. Okay, well, that's it for the mailbox. I want to uh, make sure we've got time for our Genealogy Gems book club. So we will be doing that right after this. Our sponsor for this episode is MyHeritage. Now, I know that you tune in to the Genealogy Gems podcast because you know that I'm going to carefully vet the products that come across my desk. And I'm only going to bring to this show the ones that I really think are the real gems. 
Well, MyHeritage.com is in that category, and I couldn't be happier that they've signed on to support and sponsor this free podcast. I've spent the last several months really digging into MyHeritage, and I found some powerful tools that I think you really need in your genealogy tool belt. First of all, they have over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. Get your tree posted on their website and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but genealogists around the world. Then there's MyHeritage's unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. It constantly calls 5 billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It's also the first to translate names between languages. And I personally like that the matches from the historical newspaper collection at MyHeritage, they show up towards the top of the results list. So visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. Well, welcome back to the second month of the second quarter of 2015. And we are knee deep in the Lost Ancestor in the Genealogy Gems Book Club. And here to uh, talk more about it is Sunny Morton. Hi, Sunny. Hello, and thanks for having me back to talk more about The Lost Ancestor. It's such a fun book. Well, it really is. And uh, I know that lots of folks out there probably have already finished it. But we're going to talk about some of our thoughts and perceptions about the book. And then I know that you've got some additional books to keep those who are done busy and uh, continue reading until we get to hear from Nathan next month. Uh, So start us off. What are some of your impressions about The Lost Ancestor? Okay, well, I thought I would just share a short passage from the middle of the book. And this is, you know, this book is all action. Um, So that's kind of what I'll read here. And um, you get his sort of response to being thwarted in his (laughs) attempts to uncover the truth. And you could really get a sense in this passage of what Morton's made of. So he's been investigating the 100-year-old disappearance of Mary Mercer, and he's stepped into a real hornet's nest. He'd gotten a threatening letter the day before this passage I'm going to read, telling him to lay off the investigation. Um, The writer of the letter even included a picture taken that very day of his girlfriend and a very clear threat to her life. So he spends the next day at an archive, his favorite archive, digging through old documents and trading barbs with the evil librarian there. And when he leaves the library, he finds that all four of his car tires have been slashed. He instinctively dials his girlfriend, Juliet, at work because he's really worried about her because he figures if my car tires have been slashed, then maybe she's been hurt even worse. And he wants to make sure she's okay. They just exchange a really brief conversation when he realizes she's okay and he hangs up. And then I quote... Juliet was fine, but what if someone out there clearly meant for him to stop working on the Mercer case? But why? What secrets was he threatening to resurrect in investigating Mary Mercer's disappearance? When this had happened to Morton in the past, his tenacious personality had forced him to persist with the case, to use every research method, including illegal ones, to finish the case. But I lost so much, Morton reminded himself, almost including my life. No case, however interesting, was worth such a risk. And yet, Morton's obstinate nature resurfaced. It came down to a simple matter. He had promised a dying man that he would find what had happened to his Aunt Mary. And that's just what he was going to do. The fact that someone out there wanted to stop him only made him more resolved to find her. So I almost feel like I'm reading an old, you know, radio mystery here. I almost feel like there should be mood music in the background. (laughs) I should be reading in a dark and dangerous voice. This is genre mystery at its genealogical best. Absolutely. It really is. It's a wonderful mix of kind of the CSI, you know, a lot of us enjoy those kinds of things, uh, along with good genealogical research. And then there's this whole um, going back in time and reading the Downton Abbey type story behind the scenes. It's just a mix of all of it. 
it really is very fun. And as you mentioned in our conversation last month, I think one thing that we both really appreciated is the the type of research that he does. He goes through his research process. He talks about the clues he finds in each uh, type of record and where they lead him. Well, he should go talk to so-and-so or he should follow this lead and order this kind of document. It's the same kind of process we have to follow in our own research. And as you mentioned, it can be very inspiring to make us want to follow a more creative thread of inquiry with our own uh, genealogical investigations. So how did you feel when you first started reading the book, and it starts out in the modern day tale of Morton as a genealogist and his work, and then you realize the the next chapter, you jump back to 1911, and we're going to kind of do a seesaw. How did you feel as the reader about that? You know, I was just fine with that. And maybe it's because I read a lot of books like that, where you have two storylines, essentially, one going on in the present and one in the past. I I guess as a novel, that doesn't bother me as much at all, since they are reinventing the story. Sometimes it can be a little jarring when it's um, a real book, uh, like a real memoir or a a real history, because so much has to be imagined Mm -hmm. in the past. But this, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. That's funny. My first first inclination was, oh, he's going to slow us down, you know, (laughs) because I was just getting into the pace of, okay, let's let's work on this uh, case. But in the end, I think what I really thought was that uh, that interweaving of the the 1911 story with the modern day storyline, it really illustrated the power of writing a narrative. You know, as you're reading it, you think, oh, why do we have to slow down and go back and do that? And sometimes that's our response to writing a narrative about our family history as we're doing our research, because it does slow the process down a little bit. But there's so much that can surface from doing that. And I thought this would be a really interesting exercise. I hope it convinces more people to take the time to either, you know, start up a blog and and write about their family history or write it down in a more formal way. But it's amazing because it will um, make the holes in your research kind of bubble up to the top when you realize you can't fill in some of those blanks as you're trying to tell a story. Well, if you started to really be engaged by that change of voices and the relationship between the two narratives, then you should read The Orange Lilies, which is the same series by Nathan Dylan Goodwin, um, same character, Morton Farrier. This one's a novella, and it's set at Christmas time. So um, great. The reason that I mention this particular book is because he's putting his skills to work uh, to confront the story of his own origins, which we get hints of Mm -hmm. in this novel, right? Mm -hmm. But he finally takes it full on and goes into some some of his own family history research and he does it at Christmas time and it goes back and forth between that that day during the Christmas holiday and that exact day Mm -hmm. exactly a century earlier with his ancestor. It yeah. goes back and forth, which is a, a really compelling way to do that. It was really interesting to read that. It is. I think it's it's a it's a good um, mechanism for this kind of a book. And you know, I I did find myself going, hmm, I want to hear more about this. What's this background? What's this you know situation? Mm-hmm. He has. You can tell he has his own mystery. So that certainly lays the uh, the groundwork for our curiosity for the next book. Um, it absolutely does. So, so this is the second book in the series, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Hiding the Past, I think, was his first novel. And it's another genre mystery, just like The Lost Ancestor, only this one's set in World War II. And it's a similar type of read. So if you enjoyed The Lost Ancestor, then you should pick up Hiding the Past, definitely. Oh, fantastic. And of course, we're going to have uh, the links to all of these books on the show notes page for this episode. We have it in the book club uh, area of the website. And of course, we always really appreciate when you do use our links, if you decide to pick up any of the books, because that helps to support the free podcast and your Genealogy Gems book club, which we love bringing to you. Um, I also thought uh, it was interesting as a genealogist that uh, there were parts in the book where Morton really showed a lot of restraint in, I don't know if restraint's the right word, in jumping on the bandwagon of other people's hypothesis. And there was a part of me that was like, okay, now you're just being a little surly. You know, <laughs> he was just so cranky about, oh, that can't be. And I thought, is that just um, his way of kind of keeping this story interesting? Or is that really the, the way that a, a professional genealogist would go? I, I'm trying to think of the example of, oh, I know Juliet was looking at 
his wall of pinned up items and she had some theories and you know it wasn't kind of going down the path he was going and he seemed kind of resistant at first well i think a lot of us resist things yeah. that aren't aren't our own ideas exactly <laughs> we feel like we should have thought of it first and yet so, what a perfect example of how a fresh set of eyes you know somebody who's not as emotionally tied up with the with the case can give you a different perspective Yes, absolutely. But it also at the same time reminds us of the value of the person who is doing all of the investigation firsthand. They know the personalities, Mm -hmm. they're getting a sense for them, they know the documentation they've got, and they're trying to be so careful to not make up what they shouldn't. They have to take creative leaps in their line of research, but they can't afford to take creative leaps and miss in their investigation in getting the facts wrong. Right. Right. So, yeah, it is, I think, a very a very interesting interplay between Morton and Juliet because she does uh, jump in and offer her two cents worth now and then to help solve the mysteries. And, you know, you, you bring up the point, and it, I think they talked about it when um, they received the letter from Mary Mercer. And the response of those closest to her was, yep, that's her handwriting. Absolutely. That's not her talking. You know, and that they knew her well enough and knew the kinds of language she would use and that type of thing to sense there's something amiss here. You know, and that's an interesting thing to challenge yourself, too. You know, <clears throat> as you get to know an ancestor through writings or whatever, um, just having that sense of, yep, that falls in line with the kind of thing that they would do. But that's really out of character. And that's a flag. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any things, any techniques that he used, uh, that type of thing that kind of jumped out at you that you felt like? hey, I'd love to put that into play. Oh, his research techniques, all kinds of fun things. He's really good about going back to the basics, two things, going back to the basics, all of those vital records that he's ordering Mm -hmm. by express mail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which we're jealous. (laughs) Which we're so jealous. And all of those, he goes right back to them and he takes every possible little clue out of each one. But the other thing he does is go to the other end of the spectrum. And that is he will follow any lead, no matter how far far-fetched it it seems he'll track down a person that may have known somebody that may have seen something that may have not um he he doesn't bother him Mm -hmm. to follow a flimsy lead especially if it's the strongest thing he's got he's just he doesn't give up yes there were definitely ones where you thought gosh that's gonna take some time and you're really gonna invest time on all these peripheral people Uh uh-huh i heard that a couple of times really you're gonna go talk to so-and-so who's a grandson of the the, whoever and you know how is that even going to be relevant and some of them were complete dead ends and some of them brought gems that he probably couldn't have gotten any other way you know which was just kind of exciting i think for me what I really tuned into was when he asks Juliet to take a look and he keeps talking about pinning up the, uh, the items on the wall. And it's funny, I'm on a, a, a elementary binge right now. Do you ever watch elementary? I haven't. It is the modern day Sherlock Holmes where Watson is played by Lucy Liu. I think it's on oh. CBS. And my husband and I have just kind of jumped into it. So we watched the first season, I think, uh, on Amazon, and then I ordered the the DVD of the second season. So we're knee deep in it. But that's something that he does is he pins everything up over the fireplace mantle. And uh, then he draws the strings and writes things and, and adds to it. And I thought that's so much like how Morton operates. And yet Juliet looks at him and says, you know, I need this in a linear format. And I thought, that's so true because I'm really interested in data visualization and the idea that um, there isn't just one way to look at things. And the more ways that we can mix and match data to visualize it and get a bigger picture, you know, and, and to understand that what works for us, when we go to show it to somebody else to get that fresh set of eyes, they may need to look at it differently. We have to be really open to that. Right. So somebody may need to see something on a timeline instead of on a map. Exactly. Yeah, or, or like the linear fashion, like you said, exactly. Or they, or they want to read it out in a narrative versus see it. But you know, I know for me, I want to see it kind of plot all out in context together and connect at, like more in the map than I do in the in the timeline. But there's there's certainly value in all of those things. So absolutely, I love it. I love that there were some really usable uh, things. And he t- he talked about the vo- the voter list in Canada, which I did jump on the National Archives and start <laughs> using that to try to track down my husband's great-grandfather who um, had immigrated to, to Canada, but I have a deep suspicion that, like Mary, 
he at one point traveled back to England. And did he stay or did he go back to Canada? So that was the big question. And I think those voters lists are going to help me out with that. I hope so. So, so. that's so, the Lost Ancestor. You've got more books, though, for us I to take do. a look at. And often I, I choose a theme in my book recommendations. And today my theme is, if you like The Lost Ancestor, <laughs> I think you'll also like... Oh, you sound <laughs> like Amazon. <laughs> oh, good. That's probably you where know I how get they do it that? from. Yeah, go for it. So I found some fun other genealogy mystery types of books that I want to recommend. And the first is The Marriage Certificate by Stephen with a PH. I don't know how to pronounce French, so Molyneux. M-O-L-Y-N-E-U-X. I'm guessing that's a mm-hmm. French surname. That sounds right. Okay. So this is a novel. I opened to the first page because I saw the title of the marriage certificate. Of course, I'm going <laughs> to open it because I'm a hardcore genealogy nerd. So I opened to the first page and the about the author made me laugh. So I kept reading. The about the author said, Stephen, amateur genealogist, lives in Hampshire in the south of France with two metal detectors and a long-suffering wife. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm going to read this book. So the book opens with a scenario many of us can be very sympathetic with. A genealogy buff buys an old framed marriage certificate that he sees on display at an antiques gallery. He begins researching the couple with an idea of returning the certificate to them. Eventually, he uncovers many secrets, family secrets, one with some money attached to it. But others, it turns out, are also chasing this same uh, pot of money. So this, that might sound like a little far-fetched as a plot premise, but it doesn't unfold that way. It's very reasonable the way that it unfolds. Mm-hmm. And it does have some great surprise twists in it that brings the story into the present day with some really great characters. And I fully admit I loved living out the little fantasy of, of my own through Peter, the main character, of being the, the genealogy research hero who brings something valuable from the past to living relatives today. Very cool. So that's that was one that is just another fun read. Um, that I, and again, it's kind of inspiring the kinds of questions he asks and the ways that he solves the, the mysteries that are presented to him. And then another book that I recently jo- enjoyed is this one's different. It's called Out of the Shoebox, an Autobiographical Mystery by Yaron Reshef, Y-A-R-O-N. R-E-S-H-E-F, and we'll have these titles also in the show notes. So this one's more serious. Um, It's a little more sophisticated. It's a memoir, a true story. So he gets a phone call about a piece of property his father had purchased in Israel several years ago, and he's told that he and his sister can inherit it, but only if they can prove that that man was their father. So he goes on this international paper chase into the era of World War II, the Holocaust, and the making of the State of Israel. Then a forgotten bank account surfaces, and there's more, of course. So it's a, it's a two-year quest to understand the tragedies of his family's past and to recover some of its treasures. And that, again, especially if you're interested in that aspect of history, fantastic read. Out of the Shoebox, an Autobiographical Mystery by Yaron Rechef. So that's a book that I would recommend. And then just briefly, there's another series that I've been made aware of, but I haven't read it yet. So let me know what you think if you read it before I do. This is Jimmy Fox's Nick Harold Genealogical Mystery Series. And the books are Deadly Pedigree, Jackpot Blood, and Lineage and Lies. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The hero is an American genealogist who lives and works in New Orleans, of course, uh, one of the most colorful and historical parts of the U.S. So let me know what you think of that. I'll put the links to all of these on our Genealogy Gems Book Club webpage, which you'll find on our website. And of course, we want to hear what you're thinking about The Lost Ancestor, a genealogical crime mystery. And um, as Sunny mentioned, we have a Facebook page, the Genealogy Gems podcast fan page at facebook.com slash genealogy gems. And that's the perfect place to go and post your thoughts because there's lots of other genealogy gems listeners out there who are following along and reading along with us and would love to see some conversation there about, um, I'd love to know what tips that you have picked up from the book. I, I mentioned to you a couple of the things that jumped out at me that I started to actually, you know, get struggle between putting the book down and and uh, running after those other leads that I thought that uh, like the voter rolls uh, in Canada might lead me to. 
for my own research. And so I'd love to know how you might have applied some of the things that you've read or some of his techniques, or just did you guess the answer and the end of this book before you got there? You know, there were twists and turns. I, I have to confess that, uh, I had a strong hypothesis really early on that was completely wrong. So <laughs> that, that's what's fun, though. It'd be terrible if you could guess it too too quickly. So head to uh, facebook.com slash gems. Do that. Or if you're not by chance on Facebook, certainly email me, genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com, and we will share uh, some of those comments on the next episode as well. And next month, we're going to be talking to Nathan Dylan Goodwin, and he's the author of The Lost Ancestor. And in the meantime, you've got all the books that Sunny mentioned to read, and we'll have those in the show notes for this episode. Uh, thank you, Sunny. We're going to look forward to hearing from you and from Nathan next month. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining me for Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 179. I hope that you like that Evernote book library project. I hope you'll uh, send me a note at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or even better, head on over to facebook.com slash genealogygems and uh, post for us. Let me know if you've put this into practice or other ways, other types of libraries, if you will, that you may be creating that are helping you with your genealogy research, staying organized, uh, being able to find things and not purchasing items in duplicate as we all perhaps have possibly done. I know I have. Um, So head over to the Facebook fan page and be sure to like us over there on Facebook. It's a great place for us to have our conversation. And I do want to hear what you thought of that project. And also thank you to Sunny Morton, of course, for being our genealogy gems guru and to Helen and to Shelly for writing in. You know, this show is really a family effort here. We are a family here at Genealogy Gems, and I'm so glad that you are part of it. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 